by Govanid. Welcome to Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek, and we just had Valentine's Day 2021, and some of the other Tolkien YouTubers I know are doing Valentine's Day themed videos, and so in this video what I wanted to do is talk about J.R.R. Tolkien as just kind of his general views on romance and the way he expresses that in his stories and that sort of thing. So I'm going to actually start with the way he portrays romance in his stories, and then I'm going to move into a letter that he wrote to one of his sons, Michael Tolkien, on the topic of relationships between men and women and how that might seem a bit strange given what we see from his stories. Make sure to check the description below for links to the other videos done by some of the other YouTubers on Valentine's Day related topics. So of course the first thing we know about Tolkien's views on romance, you know, if we're going in kind of chronological order of what he published, would be The Lord of the Rings and the love story between Aragorn and Arwen and, to a lesser degree, Sam and, and Rosie. Sam and Rosie get very little screen time as a, as a couple, and Aragorn and Arwen do too, but at least Aragorn and Arwen get like an appendix section where their love story is really fleshed out a bit. And the way that their story goes is kind of similar to you know what you might expect from just any old romance kind of story. Aragorn meets Arwen for the first time and pretty much falls head over heels. You get the idea that Arwen takes a little bit longer to fall in love with him, which given that she's been around for you know a few thousand years and is an elf and whatnot, maybe that's not so surprising. But you know, the guy at least falls head over heels for the girl pretty much immediately, and Aragorn's story is more or less a quest for him to earn the right to marry Arwen, because Elrond basically sets in the task of, you know, I'm not going to just let her marry anybody. You know, you've got to be the king of Gondor and, you know, restore the world of men to its former glory before I'm going to let you marry her. Otherwise, it's kind of all pointless. So... There's definitely kind of a traditional romance-type story there. And then the same story is very much echoed, which I really shouldn't use that word because really Aragorn and Arwen echo this other story, and that's Baron and Luthien. Because Baron and Luthien is more or less the same thing, except in that story, Thingol, the father of Luthien, is much more of a jerk about <laughs> having Baron complete a task because he's intentionally trying to get Baron to complete a task that he thinks there's no way he could ever possibly complete, namely the recovery of one of the Silmarils from Morgoth's crown. And it is virtually impossible to complete. Baron and Luthien in the story, which is much more fleshed out than Aragorn and Arwen's story, do fall in love. Baron falls in love with her pretty much at first sight, and she at first is scared of him, not knowing who he is, but when they actually, like, touch hands, she pretty much falls in love with him instantly, and they end up going on a lot of adventures together, he at first alone, because, you know, the thing all wants him to go off and do this, but then she eventually escapes the, you know, the watch of her father's guards and makes it to where he is, and they go through a lot of stuff to be together, and there's a lot more development in the Baron and Luthien story to that. Now, there's other relationships in Tolkien, most of which get very little development in that sense. Tuor and Idril, another man-elf pairing, get 
a little bit of time, they are the parents of Arendil and thus a very important part of the Silmarillion saga, but it's not a well-developed romance story. And you also have Turin, you know, getting involved with, almost getting involved with Fenduilas and uh, Nargothrond, and then later getting involved with unknowingly his own sister. But none of these end up being real romance tales, so it's kind of hard to put them in the same boat. And the more interesting thing here is the fact that the Baron and Luthien story itself is based in some ways on Tolkien's own experience of falling in love with his wife, Edith. And the, the, the part of the story where Baron first meets Luthien and sees her dancing among hemlocks is taken straight out of an event in Tolkien's own life where Edith was dancing among hemlocks in, in a forest. So you, you might get the idea from all of this that Tolkien is just kind of a very shallow, hopeless romantic because he just kind of sees romance stories as these awesome, you know, you fall in love at first sight and then you overcome all odds, love conquers all, and bam, everybody's happy at the end of the day. Of course, everybody's happy at the end of the day is not really how these stories end, and that's kind of an interesting segue into the letter because in Baron and Luthien's story, of course, Baron ends up dying almost immediately after getting Thingol's permission to marry Luthien. And then she has to then die and go to the Halls of Mondos and, you know, get his release. And then they're allowed to go back as mortals for a short time. And for a time, they do have bliss. But after that, they die relatively quickly. And we really don't know what, you know, their fate will be. Aragorn and Arwen you know, have a happy marriage as far as we can tell, but they also have, you know, difficulty because at the end, when Aragorn is on his deathbed, Arwen is, is really bitter over the fact that he's going to be parted from her. And it's, for elves, it's a hard thing because she's going to outlive him for quite a while, possibly. And you know, he tries to comfort her and you don't get the idea that she takes a lot of comfort from it. So it's not perfect. And, you know, if you read Tolkien's biography, you can tell while, you know, it doesn't seem that there were any really serious issues with his marriage with Edith, they didn't have a perfect marriage either. And part of that was, you know, Tolkien had his male friends at the college, university, and he had his, you know, all this energy he put into, you know, developing the world of Middle Earth and all this other stuff. And so there were, you know, strains on the marriage in that sense. And there's going to be strains on every marriage. But in this way, Tolkien recognized that marriage is never a simple, you know, you fall in love at first sight with your soulmate and that's the end of the story. And so this is where I want to get into the letter that he wrote to Michael Tolkien. So this letter is written to Michael Tolkien in, at least in large part, about advice on how to go about having relationships with members of the opposite sex. And it's not clear, but it seems like maybe Michael specifically asked him for this advice. But Tolkien kind of starts off by saying, and you have to remember, of course, that Tolkien was a very devout Catholic, so a lot of this is coming from a very Christian point of view. He starts off by saying, well, you know, the first thing to remember is we live in a fallen world, and one of the aspects of that fall is 
the sex instinct is itself kind of broken in its context as it currently stands. And he points out, you know, I mean, like men are not really naturally monogamous as things are. They, you know, men have a tendency to want to go beyond just having one, one partner, whereas women are much more naturally monogamous. And there's other issues that he brings up with regard to how, you know, the fall affects how sexual relations go about. And he says, you know, there's, there's kind of three ways you could, well, maybe not three, but there's, there's a few ways you could look at relationships with the opposite sex. And some people try to be just friends with the opposite sex. And he says that almost always fails. One of the two friends will almost inevitably fall in love with the other. And then it leads to problems. Um, and he says, you know, the, the old medieval idea of chivalry, while kind of helpful is also not perfectly theocentric, meaning God-centered, uh, because while chivalry does add a lot of value in the sense of, you know, honor and being courteous and service to the other, specifically, you know, male being in service to the female partner, it is based on an idea that tends to idealize the female partner and in so doing, again, kind of takes the focus away from the theocentric and puts the woman on a pedestal, almost making her kind of a divine figure in the relationship. And this, Tolkien says, is really not good either because women are, as he puts it, companions in shipwreck in, in the Christian worldviews. Like women are not less, you know, fallen than men. They're not perfect things to be idealized and put on a pedestal. They have different issues. For example, he says they are less likely maybe to be in unfaithful in a relationship, but they do have their own problems and they're going to, you know, they're not going to be these perfect things that you can just kind of idealize in a romantic relationship. Kind of moves from this into a discussion of how men and women see romance differently. And I don't really want to get into that because that's not really the point. Plus, depending on your point of view, some of this, a lot of people might disagree with in terms of you know, what Tolkien is thinking. And Tolkien, you know, in fairness, was a guy. He didn't have an interview look into the mind of a female. He was basing what he said on his experience, and his experience was largely based on Victorian and post-Victorian England, and that may not be the same as, you know, our experience today. So I'm going to leave that aside. I think he does have some valuable insights there, but, you know, take them with a grain of salt. Uh, but he moves on then to talk about the fact that you know, men not being naturally monogamous, you know, the women being more naturally monogamous, they tend to have, women that is, tend to have a more practical view of the relationship. And so they tend to be a little bit more interested in just setting up a home immediately. Whereas men, to the extent that they kind of idealize the relationship, are not thinking in that way. And and that's another danger of the whole chivalry type view of looking at it. And then he starts moving into, he also mentions in the, in the chivalry context, how it kind of treats love as like this outside thing that comes in and kind of takes over. And he kind of connects back with that a little bit later in the letter, talking about how, you know, in modern times, we have this idea in large part derived from literature, which is in large part, the product of male minds at the time he was writing, you know, that you know, you meet somebody and 
you fall in love and they're your soulmate. And he talks about how this is dangerous because you, if you think of love in that way, you're going to inevitably in any matrimonial relationship, the passion of romance is going to cool and you're going to have some level of difficulties in the marriage. It's just not possible to avoid that in a fallen world. And as a result of that, a lot of people who have this kind of strange idea of what love is will end up thinking, well, you know, did I miss my soulmate? And, you know, they meet may meet somebody else that they think, well, if, if only I had met this person first, you know, this would have been my real soulmate. And he says, you know, if only leads to basically divorce. And the next thing you know, you've got people divorcing each other so that they can go after somebody else who they think is their real soulmate. And he said it usually is just the next sexually attractive person. And I think he's got a really good point here. It's like marriage, you know, is not just a, a, a thing that you do because you found your soulmate. And your soulmate is not really that easy to pick. And in fact, he goes on to say, you know, only an, a very wise man at the end of his life could look back over the whole thing and pick out among the number of women that he might have married the one that would have been the best choice. Basically, no matter who you pick, it's almost certain to be a mistake in the sense that it isn't necessarily your best choice, given all the possibilities you had over your lifetime. And he, you know, he kind of crowns this this discussion by saying, of course, the true soulmate is the one you're married to. That's the one that you chose, you know, to spend your life with, to, you know, go through all of your trials and tribulations with. And, you know, the the point of marriage is that it, you know, centers that desire for, you know, the things that you want out of out of a male-female relationship on, you know, a particular relationship, which he says is, you know, even though males are not naturally monogamous, he says this is the best that you can get out of life, even though it's hard. And he even says, too, like, it's it's hard even for men to remain monogamous, even with commitment. It takes willpower, and it takes conscious effort. You can't remain, he says, completely 100% faithful to your spouse in both body and mind without some exercise of will. So, you know, it's like, and here you you probably have to think he had in mind the statement of Jesus in the Gospels, you know, that a person who looks at a woman with lust has committed adultery. And so when he says that even in mind, you know, he's like, you know, even men who are physically faithful to their wives, mentally, unless they're really in control of themselves, are probably still to some level unfaithful. Um, but I really love the comment, you know, the, the true soulmate is the one you're married to. It's like this idea that there's this one person out there who's perfect for you is, you know, it's really not a great way to look at the marriage relationship. He kind of ends this discussion by pointing out that, you know, the idea of that idealized love at first sight with your true soulmate, that sort of thing might happen in real life occasionally, but probably very rarely but it's still an idea that really takes hold of us because it's something that, you know, maybe in an unfallen world, that is kind of how it would work. He says, you know, this might be a vision of what, in a perfect world, you know, the romantic relationship really would be like on a regular basis. Um, 
but you know, such as things are, that's not how it works. And very rarely will you find two people, you know, that are, you know, kind of meant to be together as it were. And he says, as it were, you know, he doesn't think any two people are meant to be together. It's the idea that they're the most ideal match for each other. Very rarely will you ever actually see that happen. And, and he basically ends by saying, you know, it's hard for me to counsel prudence because my own experience was very imprudent. And then he goes into like a historical, um, basically telling of how his relationship with Edith developed. And of course, if you know much about how his relationship with Edith developed, it was very imprudent. He lost, he almost lost a lot of his scholarship and whatnot in, in school because he spent so much time with her and less time focusing on the studies to the point where his board, Father Morgan, ended up basically saying, you can't see her again. <laughs> so there was, you know, there was interesting issues there. He was living kind of the life of a romantic, even though now he's counseling his son, don't think of it that way. But anyway, at the end of the day, what you can see is Tolkien was not some hopeless romantic with doe eyes thinking that everything was just rainbows and sunshine. He had a pretty realistic view of how, how romance works. Agree or disagree with the specifics, he at least was willing to acknowledge romance is not quite as simple as we tend to make it in literature, which is probably why he does have some failed relationships in his stories. For example, Aldarian and Arendis, which I did a video on recently. I can link to that in the description below. Because it's, you know, it's an example of two people in Numenor who really loved each other, but had very divergent interests, and it eventually tore them apart. So that's an interesting counterpoint to all the, you know, Baron and Luthien and Aragorn and Arwen and all that sort of things in his stories. So worth you know, using as a counterbalance. But that's pretty much Tolkien on romance, at least the major stuff. I mean, you could find other things that he said, perhaps in other stories where there's a little bit more romance, but those are the major ones that I wanted to touch on. So, hope you had a good Valentine's Day, and I hope you found this discussion of Tolkien's views on romance interesting. I think a lot of things in Tolkien's letters are very interesting, and this is one of the more interesting ones in there. So if you did enjoy it, please do give it a thumbs up and share it around. You can find me on Twitter at JRRTLore if you want to get some occasional Tolkien-related trivia questions. If you want more Tolkien-related content, make sure you subscribe to the channel and click that bell icon so you get all the notifications. You can also find me on Rumble now, and you can support me over at Patreon. Till the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namariye. No